Morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. It's the first Sunday in Advent, uh, which means it's a special service for us. It is our Hanging of the Greens service. You're going to hear a lot of special music. Uh, thanks to our special readers here today. Uh, one thing you won't hear during uh, this service is the sound of Tasha's voice. Uh, she is Lutheran today. She is uh, helping out our friends over at St. Luke's Lutheran Church with their worship service in the absence of a pastor. So no Tasha today. You're stuck with the lesser Blackburn, but we've added music to make up for it. Uh, in your bulletins, you will find a two-sided green piece of paper, which may be of interest to you. On one side is your poinsettia uh, sponsorship form, if you would like to do that this year. On the other side is a shopping list for the Christmas store. The Christmas store begins on Saturday. As a reminder, if you're not terribly familiar with the Christmas store, uh, this is a shop that we put together. You donate the toys, uh, and then we put them out, and people buy them at a dramatically reduced price. Uh, they come in, they shop for their kids, they wrap the presents for their kids, they give the gifts to their kids. So it's a way for us to help folks uh, give Christmas to their families and to their households and get completely out of the way. So the kids will never see us. We, we just help them uh, give Christmas to their families. There will be about 250 kids uh, this year that we will serve through the Christmas store. It will go on for a week, uh, so there's no uh, urgency, urgency, uh, if you want to uh, provide gifts for that. But, um, you know, the hour draws nigh. So, anyway, that's in your bulletin. Those are my announcements this morning. Let's worship God.
Dylan and John Aubrey had the audacity to get laryngitis. So playing their role today will be Jim Perry. The Advent Reef. The reef and its colored candles are the visual focus of Advent. One of the candles is lit each week as Christmas approaches. The circle of Advent Reef has no beginning and no end. It portrays the God's timeliness and his eternal plan. The evergreen color denotes eternal life. The shape of the reef is round, reminding us of the fellowship of believers around the world who share with us the celebrations of his coming. The purple candles, the liturgical color for Advent, represent the royalty of Jesus. The pink candle is a spark of joy in the middle of a season of waiting. The white center candle is the Christ candle and is lit on Christmas Eve. Today we light the purple candle that represents hope, for we wait for hope that the day is near. come while we are waiting come Jesus our Lord Emmanuel while we are waiting come let us pray dear God as we begin our Advent pilgrimage grant us the courage to hope hope for your presence hope for your peace and hope for your promise amen
Let's remain standing and offer our confession before God and one another using the prayer printed in our bulletin. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, all around us we see the results of sin and sadness. We confess the ways sin has ruled our lives. We pray for your forgiveness and ask for your presence in our lives and in this weary world. Amen. My brothers and sisters, who is in a position to condemn? It is only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life is come. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Let's sing to God's glory.
going to speak to you about the poinsettia, or poinsettia. The name of this flower is derived from Joel Roberts' poinsett. He was a botanist and the first U.S. minister to Mexico in 1836. There's also a county in Arkansas called Poinsett. I don't know if you all knew that. As early as 1826, Poinsett began sending poinsettias from Mexico back to his greenhouses in South Carolina. In the U.S., December 12th is National Poinsettia Day marking the anniversary of Joel Roberts' Poinsett's death. So you can think about that coming up. The red leaves are just that, leaves. The flower of the plant is the tiny structures found in the center of each leaf bunch. And I went up and looked, because I hadn't realized that. And sure enough, there's some little teeny tiny flowers in the middle of these leaves, red leaves. Prior to the name poinsettia, it was known as the Mexican flame flower. The plant's association with Christmas began in the 1500s in Mexico, where legend tells of a girl who was too poor to provide a gift for the celebration of Jesus' birthday and was inspired by an angel to gather weeds from the roadside and place them in front of the church altar. Crimson blossoms sprouted from the weeds and became poinsettias. From the 1600s, Franciscan friars in Mexico included the plants in their Christmas celebrations, and so do we. The star-shaped pattern is said to symbolize the star of Bethlehem, and the red color represents the blood sacrifice of Jesus' crucifixion.
around the world, many kinds of greenery are used to adorn the church building at Christmas time. The laurel and the bay are symbols of victory and triumph. Mistletoe symbolizes peace. The prickly leaves and the red berries of the holly help us to remember the crown of thorns and the scarlet wounds of Christ. And everywhere, the fresh scent and color of the evergreen garlands of pine, cedar, and spruce are compelling symbols of life. Well, happy Advent, everybody. It is the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, outside is regular time, but in here it's Christian time. So we have begun the Christian New Year. The green is gone. It is replaced with purple. Our decorations are up, and it is time for us to begin marking the days until we celebrate Christ's birth on the 25th of December. If you've been in church a while, you know that there are certain readings that go along with these days of Advent. And the first reading in Advent is always of the same ilk. It is always a passage about the return of Jesus, about the second coming. And so that shall be our passage today. We will read from Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. I invite you now to listen to God's word for us today. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey 
when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there was a reason that Jesus got crucified. In the parlance of our times, Jesus was known for what we might call some pretty spicy takes, some hot takes. He spoke truth to power a lot, and a lot of what he said made people angry. He called the Pharisees, the most dominant religious order of the day, a brood of vipers. In protest at the ways in which the rites at the temple in Jerusalem had been monetized, he flipped over the tables of the money changers. Looking at the opulence and wealth of the richest of the rich around him, he said that it would be easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. These were not things that were popular, and these were not things that those who were the most powerful in a society wanted to hear. And Jesus said them anyway. But what about those who weren't powerful? What about the ordinary, the average, the lowly, the people that composed the majority of the crowds who followed Jesus around? They heard his message very differently. What they heard was the voice of an advocate. They heard the voice of someone who finally, after all those years, finally would come alongside them and speak about their lives and speak to their circumstances. They found someone who they believed had finally arrived to handle the hard business of restructuring the world. And so we can imagine, we can imagine how they listened to Jesus' teachings. We can imagine them nodding their heads along. We can imagine them saying, finally, somebody said it. We can imagine perhaps even them getting a little bit complacent, thinking that Jesus' message was not directed at them. It was directed to those people who felt as though they held the world in their hands. We can imagine that they would sit and listen to his teachings and feel as though Jesus was just going to handle everything. As though finally, now that he had arrived, now that the Messiah was present, they could sit back and watch as the world was upended. It's that sense of complacency that Jesus speaks to in this passage. That's what he's trying to get at with his words about the second coming. The entire 13th chapter of Mark is about Jesus' return. He hammers on about it over and over to them. And he gives them an image that they would understand, the image of a master leaving his house and putting his servants in charge. Specifically, the one who was in charge of watching the door. If you're on watch... If your job is to watch the door of the master's house, does it do well to fall asleep? It does not. You don't know when the master's coming back, Jesus says, so keep awake. 
do not grow complacent, he's telling them. No matter what you think you've been given, no matter what you think you have, no matter who you think I'm really talking to you, 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 my closest followers, do not fall asleep. So we're reminded of this as we begin the countdown to Advent, and I think it's worth pointing out something, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I have. Christmas has become something of a cultural fetish. Have you noticed this? The trees, the lights, the gifts, the 86 days of Hallmark Christmas movies in a row. You've perceived this, right? And it's all been wrapped in this sort of banality. Words like joy or believe or hope are kind of hung on the season almost as thoughtlessly as we would hang an ornament on our tree at home. They're just sort of hung there. And we begin this season, this march, towards the celebration of Jesus' birth, and we can almost do so thoughtlessly. We can almost convince ourselves that because we have put up a tree, or because we have put lights on our house, or because we have bought a gift for someone, or because we said some Merry Christmas to somebody in a store, that we are somehow awake. But we are not. That is not what makes us awake. Decorating, giving gifts, celebrating a season does not make us awake. It's more for us. What happens, what happens when we fetishize Christmas like this, what happens is we forget. We forget who the baby is. You're going to hear about the nativity in a minute. You all know what a nativity is. You see the nativity. After next week, that baby's going to go away. Some kid in the church is going to hide the baby, and it'll be back on Christmas Eve, and the kid will come down and put him in there, and we'll all smile and hold our hearts. It'll be a lovely moment. But remember, remember that baby is the one that ends up crucified. That baby is the one who grows up and speaks truth to power. That, one, that baby, that baby is the one who asks us to call him Lord and Savior. That's what we're marking. That's what we're celebrating. And that's why it's so important at the beginning of Advent every year to remember that this story isn't finished. It's not nostalgia. We are in the interim between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Remaining awake is remembering who and whose we are. We don't celebrate empty holidays we identify ourselves fully as followers of Jesus. We recognize that the baby whose presence we will celebrate in a few weeks is our Lord and Savior, and saying those words has consequences for how we live our lives. Jesus came to upend everything, to flip everything, and what he came to do most was transform our hearts to change the ways in which we think about ourselves and the people around us, to take what is natural for us and make it unnatural, and to take what is unnatural and to make it natural. Jesus came to claim our whole lives. When the first 
Christians met, the earliest Christians who gathered after Jesus' death and resurrection, they came up with a creed, a statement of belief. Long before the Apostles' Creed was ever written, probably long before the Gospel of Mark was set down, they came up with a creed. It's the oldest known Christian creed. Do you know what it is? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's the earliest known Christian creedal statement. Within years of Jesus' resurrection, Christians would gather in secret, and they would say that statement of belief together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. It's that next coming. It's that next coming that this season points us towards. It's that next coming that reminds us how we are to live in the interim, that prevents our faith from just falling into nostalgia. It's that next coming. It's the second coming. And I know, I know, we Presbyterians, we don't like to make a big thing about it. We don't like to talk about the second coming all the time. But it is fundamental to our faith, to who we are, to what we believe. Oftentimes, I feel like the reason we don't talk about it is because we just kind of handed it over to the hucksters on TV. Every time there's a moon that's eclipsed, we hear that Jesus is coming back. Every time there's a new war somewhere in the world, somebody's on TV saying, this is is the sign, Jesus is returning, and we think to ourselves, well, we better let that lie. Mm. No. We better make sure we know what it means. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. So I say to you, stay awake, stay awake. Do not fall asleep, do not grow complacent, do not set your faith to the side, do not imagine that we're in the midst of a season that only matters to businesses. We are in the midst of a season that reminds us who and whose we are, that the baby we adore will become the Savior whom we call Lord. That's what it means. That's what it means to stay awake. Amen. I'm going to tell you about the chrismon tree. In our church, the tree is decorated with chrismons, each being a symbol of Christ. Some use Greek letters that spell his name. Others symbolize the various roles that he played. All are made in white and gold, symbolizing his purity and his kingship. And they are truly Beautiful. If you've not seen them up close, treat yourself and take a minute sometime to come up and see them more closely. They're truly beautiful. The most famous story about the early use of the evergreen tree at Christmas centers around Martin Luther. As the story goes, 
he walked through the forest one starry night with snow covering the ground, and he marveled at the beauty of the starlight as it shone upon the branches of the fir trees. When he tried to tell his family of the glory and the beauty of the forest, they failed to comprehend what he had seen. So he then brought a pine tree into the house and placed candles upon it to represent the twinkling of the stars.
Good morning. This morning we will talk about the Nativity. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with creating the first Nativity scene in 1223 in an attempt to place the emphasis of Christmas upon the worship of Christ, rather upon secular materialism and gift giving. Our beautiful nativity scene usually sits on the table in the narthex, but today it is front and center for all of us to see Long before any of us could read the Bible for ourselves, we could learn the story of Jesus' birth through nativity scenes, usually on the town square. Ours includes the shepherds and wise men and a whole barn full of animals. At the center, of course, are Mary and Joseph, an angel and the manger, in our church, we hide the baby Jesus away until Christmas Eve when he is finally placed in his bed. Great and holy and merciful God, we are so grateful to you this day. On this first day of our Christian year, we are mindful of the blessings you have bestowed upon us and in our lives. Particularly this day, we are grateful for the blessing of one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, here in this room 
and throughout the world with whom we worship and serve and testify to your glory and to your greatness. We're also grateful for the ways in which we've been ministered to and tended to by your church. We're thankful for the saints who have come before us, who have left us such magnificent gifts, who have given us our faith, who have cared for us, nurtured us, and comforted us. Help us to be mindful this day of that great cloud of witnesses which surrounds us as we worship you and as we serve you. But as we give thanks, we are also mindful that we live in a world of sorrows and of suffering and of illness. All of us have people that are close to us today who are in need of your grace and particularly your healing. And so we take this moment to offer to you our prayers for particular people and situations, both aloud and in the silence of our hearts. Holy God, we testify that you are the Lord and Savior of our lives, that through Jesus Christ we are transformed. But we also understand that there are areas of our lives which are in constant need of transformation, constant need of grace, areas which we need to hand over once more to you. And we take this moment of silent prayer to offer to you those areas of our lives most in need of your grace and your love. We know that you hear all of our prayers, O Lord. We offer them this day in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final
my friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. 